This next section is entitled Covenant Status, Earned or Freely Given. So, those of you listening to my podcast might ask yourself, is covenant status something that we can earn on our own? Is it that Israel needed to um, push or press into the relationship and, in fact, um, get this, or I should say, reclaim this covenant status that they lost of theirs? Or is this something that um, uh, God has in control? Is there a commandment Israel might have thought that we can keep that will turn God's hand in our favor? And those listening to the podcast today might ask the same question. Is there something I can do to get God's favor? How can I be a covenant partner with God? You know, religions the world over have tried to solve this problem. How do I get God's attention? What can I do to be in covenant with God? We affirm in the church and in um, in the remnant, I should say. I use the word church there loosely to mean the remnant of Israel. But we affirm that there's nothing that we can do to earn covenant status. It is not earned. God freely bestows covenant status upon those who, what? Surrender to his salvation working power. The power of the spirit of Messiah Yeshua himself, who is in fact the savior of Israel and the savior of the whole world. Some might argue that grace is all we need in that scenario. Grace, grace, God's redemption at Christ's expense. Grace is all we need. For them, for people who might champion this view, that grace is all we need, for them, a Torah does not even figure into the scenario. So, presents a problem for people like me. What shall we Torah keepers say then? Where does the Torah fit in? Well, here at the end of Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, allow me to recall some words from a previous parasha in answer to that question as to where does grace fit in and what shall we Torah keepers do. Let me lift a quote from one of my previous commentaries. I think this comes from, let's see, from Parashat Vayera. Okay? Let's lift a quote. Quote, What made Avraham such a great role model of faith is that not only did he trust in the word of Hashem, but the Lord saw into his future and predicted that his offspring would also be taught how to trust in the Almighty. And then I go on to pull a quote from Genesis chapter 18, and verse 17 and 19, quote, Adonai said, Should I hide from Avraham what I am about to do? Inasmuch as Avraham is sure to become a great and strong nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him? For I have made myself known to him, so that he will give orders to his children and to his household after him to keep the way of Adonai and to do what is right and just, so that Adonai may bring about for Avraham what he has promised him. The emphasis on the so that's are mine. End quote. This, if we look at it and let it sink in, is a fantastic statement from the mouth of whom? The one who sees every human possibility. Would that we today might have Hashem pronounce his blessing over our families. So, what must we do to be the divine recipients of the promises of Hashem? The divine tandem-like actions spoken of here in this verse must not be taken too lightly. So let's go back and mind them, all right? Firstly, God promises to be faithful to make himself known to us. That's what it says in the verse. We, like faithful Avraham, are then enabled by that relationship and subsequently covenant-bound to obey the teachings of our Heavenly Father. Finally, such teachings are uniquely designed 
to bring about a righteous behavior in our lives, aligning our lives to be the object of God's righteous promises. Now that sounds far-fetched, but if you read the verse, that's exactly what the syntax of the, the, of the pasukim, of the verses, are hinting at. The very reality, and you have to go back and look, note the running continuity suggested by the connecting phrases, so that, that's why I kept saying that, uh, uh, emphasizing it. So that's um, help us to understand that that as God presents and relates to us and makes Himself known to us, He gives us His covenant. I'm um, sorry, gives us His commandments and the power of the Spirit to walk out His covenant, so that we can be faithful to Him, and in turn, He will bless us as we are faithful to Him. Furthermore, we must, like faithful Abraham, trust in the Lord against all unbelievable odds to perform in our lives the promise that he has given us through Yeshua, our Messiah. And today we have a sure promise, a sure word from the Lord himself. What is that word? Let's read it. It's in Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. Quote, Furthermore, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance with his purpose. Because those whom he knew in advance, he also determined in advance, would be conformed to the pattern of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he thus determined in advance, he also called. And those whom he called, he also caused to be considered righteous. And those whom he caused to be considered righteous, he also glorified. End quote. See the tandem-like qualities of this promise? The Apostle Paul is stacking these good uh, um, uh, uh, promises up in this verse. And they all work together. You know, when we read that passage, Romans eight twenty-eight, we usually stop at the first verse. But reading further informs us of our true identity in Messiah. What is that identity? Righteous heirs according to trusting faithfulness, causing us to be called, as faithful Abraham was called, righteous. Amen? Amen. I like to imagine that grace, what we talked about earlier, where does grace fit in? Grace steps in when we misunderstand the Torah as a document of legalism because we as men prone to, are prone to misunderstand God's gracious words. Yes, Legalism. Not all who approach God approach Him correctly. Not all understand His gracious ways, even though He is reaching out in grace and in love. Mankind, as we find out, has a human tendency to pervert God's gracious document into something it was not meant to be used for. To be sure, we know this, we know this. The Torah cannot, in and of itself, bring to the goal the participant and his conscience. You can reference 1 Corinthians 2:14, Galatians 3:21, the second half, as well as Hebrews chapter 7 verses 11 through 19, and you'll see that the Torah doesn't bring the recipient to the goal. In fact, let me use a rabbinic um, logic here. I'm going to use a rule known as Kalvachomer, okay? It's an argument drawn uh, along the lines of light and heavy or light and heavy. An argument from a weighty premise to a less weighty premise. Um if actually participating 
in the sacrifices of ancient Israel like they are going to do in the book of Exodus follow and forward, if actually participating in the sacrifices could not bring about covenant membership, then surely all attempts to follow Torah today will ultimately result in failure without regeneration from the inside. We know that it won't work under human power. It has to be done, covenant faithfulness, covenant membership, has to be achieved, as it were, by God's faithfulness and by God's drawing us from the inside. Let me lift a quote from the book of Hebrews, or it's alternately known as the book of Messianic Jews. At least it is in David Stern's version. Let me read a quote from chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Quote, For the Torah has in it a shadow of the good things to come, but not the actual manifestations of the originals. Therefore, it can never, by means of the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after uh, year, after year, bring to the goal those who approach the holy place to offer them. Otherwise, wouldn't the offering of those sacrifices have ceased? For if the people performing the service had been cleansed once and for all, they would no longer have sins on their conscience. End quote. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us explicitly that the Torah, as is seen in the sacrificial system that's going to be coming up, did not bring the person to the goal. The old teaching that the Old Testament saints were saved by keeping the sacrifices and keeping the commandments holds no water. The people in the Old Testament, if I could use that term, were saved the exact same way that we in the, quote, New Testament are saved. How is that? Genuine trusting faithfulness in the one who gives the covenant to begin with, who gives the commandments, I should say. It is, in fact, only the Spirit of the Holy One writing the Torah on the heart and mind that can bring about the intended goal, that can bring the participant to the intended goal of what? Surrendering to the Mashiach. With our natural mind, we read the Torah, we read do this and don't do that. And we men have a tendency to misunderstand the grace behind the words. We see what God is telling us to do and yet we don't understand. Yeshua came to us to explain the gracious intent of every single command by explaining the primary thrust of the Torah in the first place. And what is that primary thrust? leading its readers to a genuine, trusting faith in the Messiah found therein, namely himself. Moreover, since we're on this topic of grace, grace is in fact needed when sin blinds our eyes to believe that the covenant status that we so uh, 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 longingly want and hope for is granted on the basis of ethnicity, whether natural or achieved, now, I'm entering into uh, uh, um, a topic that some of you probably are not familiar with, to be sure. So, let me just introduce you to it. Historic Israel of the first century genuinely believed, by virtue of being born Jewish, that they were automatically guaranteed covenant status. What is more, from their point of view, if someone from non-Jewish stock wished to join the covenant people, all he or she needed to do was what? convert to Judaism. Hence, my use of the terms natural and achieved, respectively. The natural Israelites, those native-born, held to the prevailing theology that Israel was given 
to maintain the covenant status already acquired at birth. They held to this idea that because they were Jews, they were in fact covenant members. And as a covenant member, the Torah was given to them. And so they had to maintain covenant status that they achieved by being born Jewish. Um, the stranger, the alien, the ger, which is the Hebrew term for stranger, uh, or proselyte as you might read it now, he was deemed as someone in the process of becoming a Jew via the vehicle of his very proselytic conversion. This was the problem in the first century, people. We're going to hear more about this in later teachings of mine, but if you can't wait for me to give it to you, go ahead and go to our website again, um, graftedin.com, click on the commentary section on the top, and this time go to the more lessons, and you can read more about this in, say, my exegeting Galatians commentary there. Um, it was because of this error in their theology that Rav Shaul went to great lengths to refute such teachings in his letters, both to the Romans and to the Galatians. To be sure, if we apply this hermeneutic, that this was the problem that Paul was addressing, if we apply this rule to those letters instead of adopting a grace versus law hermeneutic, then the apostle begins to make more sense theologically and historically. Now, as I study this, I'm convinced more and more now than ever that a foundational understanding of Paul's writings must take into account the historical fact that the first century Israel reckoned herself as righteous or right standing before Hashem on the basis of ethnicity. And we read that as being Jewish when I say ethnicity. They, they reckoned herself as righteous on this status alone. It was not as if she felt that she had to keep the Torah uh, to become righteous. She did not feel that keeping the Torah equaled positional or forensic righteousness. Do you understand that now? She concluded, albeit incorrectly, that keeping Torah was the vehicle that one used to maintain covenant status already achieved either at birth or by conversion. So, in her eyes, she did not keep the Torah to become saved. She kept the Torah because she was already saved. And that language is very important because she did not wield the Torah as some simple tool that brought her or earned her covenant status. She felt that she was already a covenant member just by being Israel or just by being Jewish. And the part that's hard to sort out as you're listening to this podcast is that much of her viewpoint stems from genuine truth. And we'll have to look at that a little later on. So let's move on. What are the conclusions to my commentary today? This next section is titled, Covenant Status and the Promise. In closing, we affirm with perfect faith that genuine and lasting covenant status is granted to the individual who eventually exercises genuine faith in the promised word of Hashem, namely the Messiah Yeshua. He is the promised word of Hashem made flesh. Such status is offered freely by God to both Jew and to Gentile. Jewish people, let me explain this, listen very carefully. Jewish people with natural lineage tracing back to Yaakov are in fact born with a, quote, corporate covenant status, uh, end quote, given freely by God and based on this promise, God's promise, that he made to Avram. Jewish people who trace their lineage back to Jacob are in fact covenant members. However, this does not automatically grant them the status of right standing in a positional sense. They are covenant members on a natural level or on a national level. 
There is no such thing as what I like to call involuntary corporate righteousness in the Torah of Hashem. You're not automatically a, a, a positional a righteous person. For the native-born Jewish person, the proper sequence for the covenants is demonstrated when such an individual graduates or matriculates from mere corporate faith and belonging towards personal faith in God. They go from being someone who is just in the covenant on a natural level to becoming someone who is a covenant member on the inside as well. That's why I use the term graduates. They must graduate towards belonging uh, towards a personal faith in God. To be sure, it is only when God does his monergistic work of opening the eyes of the blind and drawing the individual into his covenant of faith that the person attains genuine and lasting covenant status. The kind of covenant status that is worthy of a place in the Olam Haba, the age to come. That is the way that the covenants are spelled out. That is the way in which God envisions an individual coming in to genuine covenant faithfulness. The Jew and the Gentile find their covenant status exactly the same way, trusting faithfulness in the word of Hashem. Jewish people were born into this covenant on a natural sense, but that did not guarantee them automatic righteousness. They must listen and surrender to the word of the Lord and to the spirit of the Lord if God was to write his Torah on their hearts. Lasting covenant status is spoken of in the Torah as gaining a place in the age to come, the Olam Haba. Today we simply use the term heaven and uh, church uh, leaders and, and pastors and missionaries go to great pains to explain to people the world over that the only way that you can make it into heaven, as it were, is by putting your trust and faith in Yeshua. And that is the right message. But don't misunderstand me here. The Torah is written on the heart of the individual who places his trust and faith in Messiah Yeshua. And therefore, as a covenant member, he is binding himself to God, the covenant giver, to keep his commandments, to keep faith in the covenant. That is our responsibility. So, in closing, let me just say it this way. What place hath the Torah in the life of an individual who has surrendered to Yeshua? Where does the Torah come in? I'll answer for you. The Torah comes alongside of the promise or of covenant status that they are given. And it acts, it, the Torah, acts as a guarantor that the individual will also achieve behavioral righteousness, thus placing him or her on a direct collision course with the blessings of Hashem. That's where the Torah comes in, people. The Torah doesn't save you. It never did. It never will. It's not designed for that purpose. It does, in fact, come along as the very promise that God gives to saved individuals that as they ally themselves with God's words and God's ways, that they become the recipients of the promises that God has made with them through His Son, Yeshua. So, far from frustrating the grace of God, like modern theologians want to tell us today, the Torah does not frustrate the grace of God. The Torah is not against the grace of God. It's not law versus grace. 
No. In fact, the Torah complements the grace of God. It works in tandem with the grace of God. Isn't that good? I'll just leave it there, because in the weeks to come, I shall elaborate on this most wonderful truth as it flows from the never-changing pages of God's Word. With that, let's draw our study of Vayechi to a close and our study of the book of Genesis. It's customary in Jewish circles after the completion of a book of the Torah to say, quote, Chazak, Chazak, Vanit Chazek, which being interpreted is, Be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened. Amen? Amen. The closing blessing is as follows. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu torat emet vechaye olam natabatochenu. Baruch ata Adonai noten haTorah. Amen. The translation is, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Have a wonderful and blessed Sabbath. So I say unto you at the end of the study, Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember... Because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua, through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song, Shema, was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me, by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A, number 613, at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.